Yeah, that idea of uncomfortable truths in the market is it's it's tough to. I mean, you know, we we're not we're not evil people. <laughs> we don't we don't want to see people mistreated. We don't want to see people, um, you know, working in in abhorrent conditions. Um, and and you we, you're right. Companies should be better. They should do better, and they should look after their people. And then, but you also make a good point: is that if you then put barriers in place for some of these companies, and they stop doing, they stop their operations in some of these areas, communities communities die, mm. people die, um, yeah. because like you say they they don't they they can't they can't live they can't sustain a life. It's and then it's like this whole it's like this global sort of push against you know coal and and dirty dirty energy um you take that away and people die welcome to the exponential investor podcast want to be a better smarter more clued up investor well you've come to the right place we cover the breakthrough investment ideas you don't hear about in the mainstream to keep you on top of the mega trends and opportunities reshaping our world and welcome back to Exponential Investor. Today, I am your host, Shay Russell, but I am joined by co-editor Sam Volkering. Sam, how are you, mate? I'm all right, Shay. Good to see your beautiful face again on a lovely Friday morning, talking all things investment and market. Uh, yeah, going all right. Yourself? Oh, awesome. Look, I just want to say I appreciate the uh, uh, you appreciating the time it took for me to put a face of makeup on. <laughs> to appear on this podcast because I look like a swamp donkey 20 minutes beforehand. Now, kicking off today, uh, we had some, well, this is a, a somber moment that we're going to, but I want to talk about um, some uncomfortable correlations that you've noticed in the stock market this week. Uh, now, during the week, obviously, there's been uh, another gun tragedy in the US, and I don't actually want to delve too much into that. There's plenty of people providing commentary on that that can actually add value on that. But let's talk about it from a stock market perspective. And uh, just off air before, you pointed out um, something that makes people uncomfortable to recognize and the irrationality of markets. Can you please explain what you mean by that? Yeah. So, and so it feels like I, I have this conversation, you know, every, every year or a couple of times every year, but the market is a very irrational beast. You know, when, when you go through a lifetime of education on finance and economics and, and the markets and how they work, uh, you know, markets are supposed to be efficient. They're supposed to be transparent, you know, access to information. And, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, behave in, in ways that reflect, you know, all of that. But markets are extremely irrational. They do things that you don't expect. But more often than not, they do things that you don't like, that upset you, make you feel uncomfortable, make your skin crawl sometimes. Um, and I think it, it's so it, it, it's reinforced when you see something like what's happened in the US where there's a mass shooting and then all of the major gun stocks, usually in pre-trading or usually the day after, actually go up in value. And the irrational nature behind that, so the, 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 the sort of hu human side of us would say, oh my God, this is horrible. Surely they're going to put in some sort of gun laws that are going to really impact and hurt these kinds of companies. Not in America. In America, what happens is that the sort of train of thought is, oh, my God, there's been a mass shooting. Oh, my God, I need to buy a gun to protect myself. Oh, my God, gun sales are going to go up. Oh, my God, these stocks are going to be worth more because they're seeing higher demand for their products and, you know, they're making margins and they're making more money because they're selling more guns and they're selling more ammo. So stocks like Vista Outdoor, American Outdoor Brands, um, Smith & Wesson, 
um, can't remember the other one off the top of my head. Nonetheless, if you look at them, you know, they're all up like a couple of percent in pre-market trading off the back of the, the shooting this week. And it happens every time. Every single time there's a mass shooting in America, these gun stocks go up. Um, that's short term. Just in the, in the short term, that's what happens. And it's, it's, it's a reminder to us that the market doesn't necessarily do what we like. And there are some that argue that these these sorts of companies shouldn't even be investable, which it's kind of goes against the entire principles of, of free capital markets. But anyway, um, because it doesn't fit into uh, a lot of this stuff around sustainable ESG style investing, much in the same way as that people won't invest in tobacco companies for, for similar reasons. But ultimately, the market doesn't care what you feel. The market doesn't care what you think, and it will move based on what humans do rather than what they think and what they say. Um, and so, weirdly, you never want to see any of these sorts of things, but you've also got to kind of, and some people call me pretty cold and callous when I when I talk about the, the performance and the, the movements of these stocks in this respect, but you've kind of got to ignore these human tragedies and these events and what these... So, you know, some of these things can lead to. I mean, you could argue that a lot of mining companies in the world, and you probably know this as good as anyone, Shane, could probably talk to me about it a bit more, but you know, there are plenty of mining companies out there that probably push the boundaries of, you know, <laughs> human rights with some of the conditions in which oh. people operate their mines. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, it's it's one of these things. And so this almost probably brings up another thing. I probably didn't really necessarily think I'd get down this track, but it brings up the idea of what is ESG investing? Does any company in the world truly meet this idea of environmental, social governance responsibility? Um, I tend to think probably not. I've always sort of stood pretty firm with this idea of ESG investing is a big load of crap basically, um, and the investors or the market or people just want to feel good about their investments when in reality, the best way to maximize your portfolio is to not feel good about it, is to not feel anything about it really, is to find the companies that are going to achieve the goals that you set out to achieve. Um, and, and, you know, there, there are, you know, there is responsibility in, in that and there are things that companies shouldn't be doing and there are, that's where you are supposed to be able to trust that market uh, oversight and it does its job in that those companies are, are, are banned, blocked, fined, and go out of business eventually for, for doing the wrong things. But ultimately, you look at a lot of investments out there. Um, you know, Tesla uh, Tesla got dropped, I think, wasn't it, from the, um, uh, the ESG list because of issues around some of their management practices or the alleged management practices in, in Tesla. So it's a fickle world, ESG investing. And the reality is, is that the stocks that we buy and the stocks that are listed on the, on the stock exchanges around the world aren't necessarily, you know, all rainbows and, and, and ponytails and fluffy, fluffy bunnies and, you know, well, that kind of junk, they're dirty and they're grimy and they do bad things and we don't like them and we don't know about half the stuff. And you kind of got to just either figure out to learn to live with some of that or stop investing. Look, that's an excellent point, Sam. And I actually didn't think I was going to have much value to add today, but then you went and mentioned the dirty mining sector. And 
If there is any industry in any sector that has managed to create a great PR campaign, it is the mining sector, especially here in Australia. Now, Australia does have, Australia and Canada, actually, I'll lump the two of them together, have significantly higher standards than almost anywhere else in the world. But you made an excellent point when it comes to the ESG requirements of these miners. Are they really meeting them? And the uncomfortable truth is no, their ESG obligations are making them better. But really, when you start to scratch the surface of the mining sector, it's horrific. Um, anything that has cobalt in it, for example, cobalt, uh, has come from the Democratic Republic of Congo, which basically has been mined by children. Uh, there is, they were trying to, they are, scientists are trying to look for a switch to move away from that. The problem is some of the mining companies got together and they're like, oh, look, rather than bringing government intervention, why don't we just work with the mine sites directly to try an improvement? Uh, and we've all just decided to move on from that little fact and accept that there's cobalt in our food and it's been it's been mined in you know catastrophic situations where the tunnels aren't uh, structurally supportive and it is mined by kids. The same uncomfortable truth comes from any gold you buy from Dubai. Uh, it's come from Africa and it has been mined in appalling conditions. Artisanal gold is another one. Uh, there are places in PNG where it's you know, it's what came first, the chicken or the egg. These people, these families are mining artisanal gold in contaminated waterways, um, but they're doing it because then they can actually go and support their family. But if we remove that from them, then they don't eat. So these are those uncomfortable mm. truths. Do we agree with it? No. Are, should we look for ways to do these things better? Yes. But at the end of the day, the irrational um, thing that you're talking about with, you know, gun stocks going up because of a mass shooting um, you know, disasters happening in the mining sector all the time and we actually overlook them quite a bit in order to continue living the lives we do. So I actually do support a lot of what you have to say there is that the markets are irrational uh, and they, you know, respond to these sort of events in irrational ways, but there's sort of, it's littered with dirty truths. Yeah, that idea of uncomfortable truths in the market is, it's it's tough to, I mean, you know, we're, we're not, evil people <laughs> we don't we don't want to see people mistreated we don't want to see people um you know working in in abhorrent conditions um and and you we, you're right companies should be better they should do better and they should look after their people and then but you also make a good point is that if you then put barriers in place for some of these companies and they stop doing they stop their operations in some of these areas communities communities die mm. people die um, yeah. Because, like you say, they they don't they they can't they can't live they can't sustain a life. It's and then it's like this whole it's like this global sort of push against you know coal and and dirty dirty energy. Um, you take that away and people die yeah. because they don't have access. Like already, so we already know at the moment there are there are incredible heat waves permeating through India and Pakistan and a lot of Asia and Southeast Asia and the without they're, they're having blackouts because of the heat because there's a, a surge in the requirements for cooling air conditioning and, and even though a lot of people don't have it um, and so there are rolling blackouts around these countries and if you then all of a sudden take away their most reliable accessible energy source like coal that only gets worse and yeah. if that gets worse and there's continued heat waves more people die so I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about some of the ramifications when they jump on a high horse and say, you know, we all need to move to ESG investing and this is the way of the future and we've got to get all these ESG funds. Because if you if that's 
the direction that everyone heads, people die anyway. Um, and so it's 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 tricky. I think I think sort of maybe the core point here is is that we are sort of entering this world of, in the market where everybody wants to think that everyone's doing the right thing, but the uncomfortable truths are that they don't. And so if you're not comfortable with that, uh, then you will struggle to find investments <laughs> in the market that meet all your criteria. You've got to you've got to uncomfortably not be okay with it. You've kind of got to uncomfortably accept the fact that the world isn't a perfect place, and there are some things that you're not going to like about the companies that you're invested in. And there are going to be some things that perhaps you don't even necessarily know that they do. Um, and when you find out. You know, if you look at your portfolio and you find some, you know, all of a sudden there's a company that's maybe doing something you don't like, maybe there's a bank that's participated in money laundering, but you've still got it in your, your watch list. I think people become selective over what they are prepared to accept and what they're yeah. prepared to not accept. Because I can guarantee you that money laundering ends up back again in a similar situation about how it impacts people's lives and people probably die because of where that money is laundered from and where it ends up going to. But people don't sell out of the bank because it's been, you know, fined a billion dollars for money laundering. But if a gun stock goes up because there's been a mass shooting, people are like that's not good. So it's selective. It's selectiveness, I think, on what people are or aren't prepared to accept in the market, which is, again, which all leads towards markets <laughs> behaving irrationally, <laughs> which makes which makes it really hard to predict and and. To be fair, I mean, I've been looking more and more recently around like ETFs, right? Because I, you know, and you know me, and for a long time, I've always believed in active investment in the market, picking stocks, picking companies individually on their merits and looking for those really, you know, great stocks that can really deliver huge returns to investor portfolios. But I've also sort of, you also sort of come to the conclusion that a lot of people aren't, aren't ready for that or aren't prepared to do yeah. that. Or don't want that to be their their primary source of their portfolio, and so again, I've been looking at the ETF space, you know, about you know different thematic ETFs and how investors can use those to get exposure to themes and ideas without having to pick the specific stocks. But that then opens up an entire whole picture about what we've been talking about as well is that a lot of people look at these ETFs and then it's not they don't really look through the holdings of them either but when they pick through them they will find that there are probably some uncomfortable companies in that so you got to ask yourself if there's a list of 20 companies that an ETF holds that's on a you know thematic idea that I really want to invest in but there's one or two that aren't necessarily behaving in the way that I would want them to be does that mean you don't then invest in that ETF what if all the other thematic ETFs, what if there's such an important company in that thematic ETF that you can't avoid them? What do you do? Do you stop investing? At what point do you draw the line as to moving because of a company or not moving because of a company? Do you put your finances and your portfolio and your you know, wealth potential at risk because of something one company does? These are just things that, you know, we kind of, like you say, the uncomfortable truths that we have to kind of reconcile with ourselves when we're investing in the markets also too um one thing i can't stand and you know and, and this rests on this is um lip service like a lot of this you know green push this esg push if you start going through them they're, they're fluffy 
they're, they're just they're, they're fluffy goodness and you know this is back to the rainbows and unicorns and pretty cute little bunnies um so as an investor you know what do you do when you see a, an etf that's holding everything you like but one company you don't really agree with the, the question is well do you just give up on that one or do you use that to drive your own personal interest in learning more about it because sometimes probably not just that one company um you know for example there's a, a coal company in australia that didn't actually refer to coal throughout its esg statement it called it thermal power that was it it just dropped the word coal but it had this glossy esg statement um and, it, and you know what it looked really good but when you read it and you're like well thermal coal is thermal power um you know really how good are these esg statements are so it's one of those things that these um the odd company might make you uncomfortable but if you push too hard or actually you don't even really need to push too hard you'll find out that some of these esg statements are just lip service and they are just there to make companies look like they're doing something when they're not my key takeaway from this is not financial activism but as an investor in western markets we come from a position of privilege where we can start demanding our companies do better and calling them out on words like thermal power instead of calling it coal for example yeah and also as a shareholder in a company you have a vote exactly and i think a lot of people probably forget that point is that the best activism you can probably take if a company isn't doing what you want is to actually have your voice heard by being a shareholder um <laughs> which is that's, it's, that's it's a really a good point there it's a catch twenty two, right? And that that's how some companies, uh, that's how some large investment banks and investment firms actually do force change on some of these companies. They take large positions because fundamentally the company is good, and they're doing good things, and they have a lot of potential. But there are some things that need change, and so they take a you know large position, they get a board seat, and they impact change. Likewise, if there are enough you know investors, even small investors that pull together, they add up to a lot. Of voting power and I don't think enough people I don't think enough people vote most people um, just you know veto their votes and, and uh, what is it they um, you know they um, the proxy vote yeah. for whatever for somebody else to do it the, the management it's like no actually you know what if you hold if you hold stock in a company time AGM or whatever rolls around and there's time for a vote vote you've got to say that's if you want to talk about ESG, you want to talk about governance, the most responsible governance you can do as a shareholder is to actually have a vote on what the company, you, as an individual, you might not, you might, you won't, you won't impact the ultimate decision. But if enough of you are together with a similar view and it, is, it disagrees with what the company is doing, you believe it or not, you can, and this is why there are often groups of shareholders or you know companies have shareholder groups and connect online or on different threads or different um, forums and stuff and they pull together and they say, you know what, this isn't acceptable, we're going to vote no or we're going to vote you know, for something else in, uh, in that, that thing. So I think you've got to be, like you say, the most, the, the most important thing is to learn to be uncomfortable be comfortable being uncomfortable in the market. And uh, the most responsible thing you can do is to participate and vote uh, in the companies that you're invested in or the companies that you want to invest in that you may be a bit borderline with because of some of the things they do. You know, be comfortable being uncomfortable and then have your vote and have your say. 
All right, Sam, look, we probably nearly drawn to an end and this conversation didn't go the places we actually thought it was going to go, but it does raise a really good point and that is be uncomfortable being uncomfortable, but also too, don't be afraid to exercise your opinion. Because uh, unlike back 20 years ago when you and I first started investing, you have the power of social media as well to help draw more attention to these issues at the same time. Definitely. All right, so we are going to wrap today's uncomfortable conversation to learning how to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, I want to... Thank you for being here. Thanks for no fire alarms going off, no chipboard <laughs> deliveries, no real excitement, no real edge of your seat, seat stuff this time, and no comparing monitor sizes. No cats, uh, no fires, no, <laughs> no, no competitions, just, just <laughs> uncomfortable truths. Just uncomfortable truths. And there's been a couple of times I'm like, oh, yes, we've raged some touchy subjects. All right, I have waffled on long enough. Uh, Sam, I want to thank you for being here. Thank I you. want to thank everybody for listening, and also bye for now. Thank you.